just when you thought parables were done. (laughs) This past fall, we've had week after week of parables from the Gospel of Matthew, and we got a couple weeks of a break, uh, and then we get our parable for today, which many people have struggled to try to understand what this parable of the talents, as it's typically called, is all about, and for good reason. And just to remind everyone, uh, parables were stories that Jesus told using everyday images and examples to try to say something about the nature of the kingdom of God. And sometimes they confused the crowds, and Jesus had to take his disciples sort of to the side and say, this is what this means. I would imagine with this one, he had to do the very same thing. But the word parable literally means to be thrown around. Uh, And I kind of think of my math class in parabolas. Anybody? Got all my engineer friends. Parabolas as sort of a curve. And so parables are really stories about God that have kind of a curve to them. So these are This is a parabolic parable for today, and I just thought I would uh, mess with your heads a little bit. So one of the things that we often do with parables when we interpret it, and I think Matthew and how Matthew arranged this parable in his gospel telling is that the most powerful person in the story we connect as being a stand-in for God. So in this case, it says, a man went on a long journey and entrusted to his slaves his property. To one he gave five talents, the other two talents, and another one. And then he went away and didn't say, I'm going to be gone for this many years or this many months. He just went, and it was a long time. Now, a talent is a unit of money. And one talent is an enormous amount of money. It is 15 years worth of labor. So you would have to work for 15 years to accumulate one talent. And the master gives the least is one, but then two and then to one gives five. Then goes away and then comes back and wants to settle accounts. So if we decide this is a character for God, we could say, oh, well, God gives us gifts. God gives us talents, if you will, but also just an abundance of of treasures and and giftedness and and what we do with what God has given us is a choice we get to make, and we can be faithful stewards of the gifts we've been given and use it to bless others, or we can hold it to ourselves, or in the case of the parable, hide it or dig it in a hole and live in fear. And so that in and of itself is a great way to think about this parable, that we want to live in faith, in God's abundance, and and to give ourselves away knowing that God will always fill us back up, in fact, multiply in us the blessings that we are in the world. And so we would love the, the response that the first uh, slave gets when, he, when the master returns. 
He says, uh, well done, good and trustworthy slave. You've been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. That sounds great. Enter into the joy of your master. I would love for those words to be shared with me when I meet the Lord. Enter into the joy of your master. Except the third uh, slave, which is really the centerpiece of this parable, because literally the same words for the first two are repeated, but the, the third slave says, I knew you were harsh. You reaped where you did not sow. You gathered where you did not plant. And I was afraid, afraid of your wrath. Here, have what is yours. The th- So if this is a stand-in for God, there's a little bit of a mixed review on whether God is loving and kind and giving out of abundance or harsh and crooked. And so I I start thinking, well, wow, is this third slave, which typically when people understand the parable of the talents, he's vilified. Is this third slave wrong? Or is there something else going on here? And this is where I would probably draw the distinction between the parable as Jesus told it to his original audience and how that parable has been told in the Gospel of Matthew and in the history of the church. The economic system of Jesus' day was filled with haves and have not. The, the, the income disparity that we understand today was far worse in Jesus' day. And the idea that someone would have five talents and two talents and one talent to and give away in order that those slaves would make more money for the master is something like a pyramid scheme. So if this is a description of how God works in the world, you'd have to make the conclusion that somehow Jesus is like a venture capitalist. And we know that Jesus said, blessed are the poor, blessed are the hungry. We just heard those scriptures a couple of weeks ago. And what we know when Jesus is given the choice to call out the rich or stand with the poor, or no, stand with the rich or stand with the poor, he always stands with the poor. And the way that wealth was gathered in Jesus' day was often through oppression, exploitation, and graft. And so this parable confuses me. So maybe there's something else going on, and maybe Jesus was trying to instill into those who most likely were victims of exploitation and economic oppression to see the truth, and maybe that third slave isn't a villain, but maybe a whistleblower. So there's more to say about that. But... We're here to worship God and to try to find something to speak to our hearts today and to help us in this season as we head into Thanksgiving, Advent, Christmas, as we gather with family and friends and we think about the many ways we have been blessed. So we'll set aside the bigger picture of economics and all the things that Jesus was doing in his ministry and think about a couple Uh, saving graces that we can glean. And that's very simply 
God entrusts us to use the gifts we've been given, to be good stewards. We are entrusted. In the beginning of that parable, it says the man uh, was going on this journey, and he entrusted to them, and it said he gave them the five and the two and the one talents, each according to their ability. I think this is really important. Sometimes in life, we get ourselves caught in the comparison sort of uh, game, where we compare our success or our blessings to other people. And we, we look at ourselves, particularly when someone else has more or something else seems better. But the truth is, we are all been given an abundance. It's all from God, and we deserve none of it. So whether you have a little or a lot, God has blessed you with your family, with your friends, with faith, and has given us maybe not everything we want, but hopefully what we need on a day-to-day basis. What are we to do with what we've been given? How can we be good stewards? It says, to those who have been given, even more will be given. As I said, this isn't Jesus promoting a gospel of prosperity, where the wealth that people have is a sign of God's blessings. No, this is about being good stewards, sharing ourselves fully, giving our time our talent, our money, and using it to be a blessing in the world. And when we bless others, God will continue to bless us. We allow ourselves to be instruments of God's work in the world. In this interpretation, the third slave doesn't live up to the talent he's been given because he buries it out of fear. So we are faced with that real choice. Will we live in fear or live in faith? Will we give ourselves away or will we hold ourselves back? The second point that the larger narrative in the Gospel of Matthew as it reaches its sort of climax is Jesus says, yes, I'm going to the cross, but I'm going to come up back. And you don't know when. This man who goes on the journey for a long time and, and entrusts the property to the servants Jesus promises to come back, the second coming. And so, in the meantime, we are to stay awake, be prepared, and and to uh, be a blessing along the way. Jesus will return, and Jesus will make all things right. And the question, I think, that will be asked is, what did you do with what I gave you? Were you a blessing? Were you living in gratitude and thanksgiving for what has been given to you? Or did you look inward and only care for yourself? Did you live out of fear rather than faith? Keep awake, because you'll never know when that time will come. That's not a threat, it's a promise. Because what is to come will be so much better. 
so much more filled with God's presence, filled with God's love, and all will be made whole, redeemed, restored, and there'll be a vision of peace for all people. In the meantime, let's stay awake and be a blessing. Amen.